Well, or that was the fox hole. That was the fox yeah. hole. I want to say welcome to uh, all our viewers out there tonight. Uh, this is uh, December 29th. I had to look, man. Oh, the year's almost over. I'm Tom Medlin, W5KUB, and this is Amateur Radio Roundtable. It's a show about ham radio. And uh, if you're listening out there on shortwave tonight on 7490 kilohertz, we'd love to hear from you. Where are you in the world? Send us a signal report to Tom at W5KUB.com, Tom at W5KUB.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, our shortwave uh, broadcast is at a different time than our live show. But uh, if you'd like to join our live show and you have internet access, you can always join us on Tuesdays, uh, Tuesdays at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that would be 0200 UTC Wednesdays, and just go to uh, YouTube to W5KUB. You can get us there, or if you want to still go to our uh, website, W5KUB.com, you can you can go there, click the video and the chat button, and you'll be in there with us. So we've uh, we've been making some changes to the program. You guys have probably noticed we've got a different chat room now. We're we're focusing more on YouTube than we were our own private branding. Uh and we need you to hit the subscribe button. You know, we've always we've always branded this as W5KUB and not as a YouTube channel. So we never picked up the subscribers. So hey, if you're in here tonight and you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button, please. Hit the like button about four or five times. And if you will, hit that little bell next to the subscribe. And what that will do is notify you whenever we come live. And sometimes we we have um, a lot of things that happen during the week. And uh, we have a lot of fun. You notice we didn't play any music tonight? Try something different. It seems like uh, a lot of people were interested in behind the scenes what was going on here. So we, we may uh, may do that like that. The next few times we'll have to see, but we're gonna have to be real careful and not say anything bad, if you know what I mean. All right, let's see what uh, what else is going on. Oh, the 40 meter net tonight. Band conditions are kind of long. I mean, Europe was coming in mostly, a lot of QRM, but uh, we uh, we we had a, quite a few people check in the 40 meter net, uh, and also I've got uh, a couple people that want to join us and call a dmr net so we you know our show has a dmr talk group 31693 uh, we're probably gonna start having a dmr net also on tuesdays so uh we uh we have a good show tonight we got some just some great things lined up tonight so just stick with us it's gonna be fast moving fast paced so let's just go around the room real quick 
and just say who's here tonight and just say hello to them. Uh, we won't start your segment yet, but this is just a welcome and hello. So uh, let's go first to, uh, looks like Riley's here. Riley, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. It's it's cold in Gettysburg, and uh, I'm not coming from, to you from the radio room because I have three vintage pieces of vintage equipment down there torn down to rebuild, so it was a little cluttered down there. So yeah. I moved upstairs. Well, you know, that's okay. We're just glad to have you, Riley. So, uh, we, and we hope you're going to come back again. I, I was afraid you were mad at us for a while because you kind of disappeared on us. But you've, no, been, you've been pretty I busy, was, I think. I wasn't avoiding it. I was just evading more. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're so glad to have you tonight. Let's uh, let's jump on around the room here, and and uh, all I got to do is, boy, I need more hands to flip all these buttons, and I've lost my mouse. Excuse me, I've lost <laughs> I've lost my mouse. It was on the it was on a different PC. It was on the wrong PC. Okay, the mouse has come back. Uh, all right, so uh, Riley, that was, let me get Riley's name off because the next person is not Riley. There we go. Who, who else is out there? Who, who, who wants to jump in here? How about you, Alan? You there? I, I am here. I'm unmuted, I think. Yeah. Oh, hey. man. Okay. Good evening, you looking, everybody. You're looking Robert. good there. Look at that shirt. Is that a that, Christmas present? on the back there. Oh, man. So, Christmas I present. I didn't see the back. Philly, New Jersey. Can you see the back? It's got my YouTube channel on it there. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, that's I, awesome. I, I, I got to get me a couple of those, man. That was one of my themed Christmas presents. The other one was a picture of my, my workbench back there into a, a puzzle. So that's what I'm going to be doing New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> so, cool, man. Cool. I like it. All right. Hey, what are you going to be talking about tonight in uh, uh, Tech Tips? Yeah, Tech Tips is a short one, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but just a quick intro to what is a SDR, software-defined radio. Oh, man. All right. And are we going to get into any remote SDRs or maybe like the, the doggles? Or what are you going to talk about? I'm just going to talk about, in general terms, what the, what's an SDR compared to a radio that's not an SDR. Okay. Okay. We can talk about dongles and things like that, but not today. Okay. Very good. Okay. All right. Uh, Katie. Katie, are you there? I am here. Well, how did your how how'd your day go today, Katie? It was fine. It was my first day back at work because we I took yesterday off. You know, last week on the show, I was starting to feel kind of scratchy in my throat. And oh, I woke no. up the next morning, I was miserable sick, and my boss was like, you need to go get a COVID test. And uh, thankfully, it turned out negative and got some antibiotics and steroids. And I tell you what, those are wonderful things. But So it made us well enough that we could still go see the grandbabies and kids. So, All right. You don't have to talk. Awesome. You're, you're, you're talking away from the microphone. Aren't it? Yeah. Here I am. Yeah, that's right. We'll have to teach you how yeah, to use the microphone. I think we need some new cabling for our yeah. uh, mixer or something. But that, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, happy to be back. And uh, I don't know that the cord is long enough, but Dwayne's Christmas present is behind. Let me see. What What has he got there? Uh, well, our son makes um, wooden lighted oh, call, call sign uh, boxes. Magic. Cool. I like that. Okay. Very so nice. that was his okay. Christmas present. Very nice. Uh, it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Alan, I really like that t-shirt. That looks I do, cool. too. Man, everybody's got such yeah. good things. 
Oh man, oh. this is this is neat. And, and Bill's got a ponytail going on, so I mean, <laughs> Rich's hair is still getting longer. It's been growing for a year nonstop, I think. So yeah, we're all catching up with each other. A bunch of hippies on the show. <laughs> all right, hey, let's let's go over to Rich real quick. Hey, Rich, how you doing up here in New Jersey? Hi there, we're doing well, and staying uh, uh, not too cold. We had a little bit of snow last week, beginning of the week, about ten inches, uh, yeah. but that all went away very quickly. When it warmed up to sixty degrees, so uh, oh, you got about the okay. same temperature we've got down here. Yes. Yeah. Today it was about. I think we popped out around forty, and it's supposed to warm up through the week again, but rain later. It's down in the twenties already again. Oh man! All right. Hey guys, just just a quick announcement. We have hit the number of concurrent viewers that we hit last week uh, as a record. So concurrent, we've already hit we. We had 165 people concurrently for for Katie. That means everybody's watching at the same time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. All right. Where were we? Oh, Rich. Okay. Hey, man. Thanks a lot for being with us, Rich. You're coming up here in just a second. Um, and let's see. Bill Brown. Bill, I think you missed the last week or two with us. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing fine. And uh, it got down to the 20s here in Alabama, but people start buying everything off the shelf uh, thinking that there was a dusting of snow. Uh, we actually had uh, almost a white Christmas in Alabama. We had a dusting of snow uh, on Christmas Eve. So, uh, And one inch of snow down here will shut the place down for about a week. So. <laughs> yeah, something happened the, the, here. Hey, something happened, and we've got the wrong picture. You've got here. me. <laughs> now, now we got a good close-up. Something uh, crazy went on here, man. Okay. Well, we're back. Yeah, that was pretty weird. (laughs) Well, I haven't. uh, This is the one year anniversary of my last haircut. uh, I read it and I was thinking about getting a haircut until I read an article about a couple that went and got a haircut before Thanksgiving and they both died of COVID. Oh, man. I may have to go a few more months here. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know. It's okay. We're not going to complain. Uh, at some point, we may ask you to get a haircut if you want to stay on here. But <laughs> right now, we're going to we're going to let it fly because of the circumstances. How about Glenn? Glenn, you out there? Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Doing pretty good. Now, see, I have my demon child here. That's right, and that's and they're behaving just really well. Look. Yeah. Well, I, right. you know, I, I was talking about needing a haircut, too, but after Bill's story, no way. But, you know, Bill, it's interesting. The last time it snowed in Christmas Eve in Alabama, or at least in Birmingham, was 1985. And my first show cat was named after that snow, Christmas snow. Glenn, I didn't, I didn't know you liked cats. Maybe we can swap recipes sometime. Uh, yeah, these are champion show Maine Coons. Okay. And, this one right here was ranked best in the world at the last show we went to a year and a half ago. And what kind are they? Maine Coons. State well, of Maine and Coon like raccoon. I, you know, I never knew a cat being a Maine Coon. I, I mean, I knew what Coons were. You know, we hunt them down here. Uh, here but <laughs> uh, these would hunt you. She's three feet, four inches long from tip of nose to tip of tail. Oh. Mm. Yeah. That's definitely That's, the boss of the house. And her sister's bigger, but uh, 
this is the one that has to photobomb the show. But anyway, um, as, as far as here, I didn't get anything for Christmas. You know, the cat's got more than me. And, uh, oh, man, I, I would have sent you something dinner. I'm sorry. I Oh, that's all right. You know, I've got on the air and been playing with the radio, and I can't wait for the Ritty Roundup coming up this weekend to uh, play with the, the play new with, Ritty Reader. Play with your new reader, huh? Okay. Yeah. It's all finished, all done. That's I'm cool. actually listening here for W1AW's broadcast to switch over to, to Teletype and try to copy some of that for it. Well, all right. All right. Well, Katie, Katie, why don't you come in here, Katie? And why don't you talk with Rich and talk to us about CQ this week or this month? That sounds good. Well, it is... The end of December, and we have our historical activities that on the last the last Tuesday of the month, we always have our friend Rich Moseson, W2VU, from CQ Magazine, talking about what's been going on and what's coming up in our next issue. And um, But before we dive into that, you just finished up with your celebratory year of your 75th anniversary of CQ. Is, oh, make sure you're unmuted. Make sure you're unmuted before we start talking. So, so again, a happy happy anniversary to CQ Magazine. And it, there were some fabulous issues this year. And do you have any special, like any few special memories that stand out when you, while you were putting all these different issues together this year, Rich? Well, <clears throat> I guess the favorite part for me was digging into the history of, of the magazine and of, of what has gone on in ham radio over the last 75 years to put together the historical pieces early on in the year. And then as we went through the year, in each issue we had one or two CQ classic pieces, which were reprints of articles from past issues. And we're going to continue that. And uh, that was, you know, it was really amazing to look back and see how advanced hams were even 75 years ago. I mean, our first issue, we had an article in there about microwaves and, uh, you know, very early on, on on transistors and things like that. So the, what has been most fascinating to me has been how totally ahead of their time our writers and readers have been throughout our history and, uh, that's neat yeah we take for granted that you know as technology grows that you know everything was so old-fashioned back then but i mean ham radio folks have always been on the cutting edge of all kinds of new things and it's i think that that was a good point and i know um during the year as we've talked about some of the issues and, and features that you dug up from the past. It was always interesting to hear what people were thinking about and working on and all the different projects. And, um, you know, it's just different year, but same interest, just maybe some of the technology has changed, but, you know, always something to learn. I think that's probably one of the things that uh, people really love about CQ. And uh, Joe K0NEB, who is on the in the chat tonight and is joins us. He's, Joe, we need to get you back on the show. We haven't had you do a kit feature recently. But I think he's going. He, he'll probably be with us in a week or so. He's got some well, more good. kits. In fact, in fact, his, in fact, hey, let me just say this real quick. I think Rich might mention him tonight. 
That's what I was going to say. I thought that he okay. said something in the in the chat room, and I thought you might want to share that. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us what's coming up in our next issue? All right. Well, we'll start at the beginning, which means, in this case, starting with Joe. I've only Yay. got a black and white copy of our cover here, but that's Joe's house and Joe's roof and Joe's tower. As, uh, he's got some friends putting up... Uh, a new antenna for him, and he writes all about that in his column. Wait, let, uh, let me just put it up in color. There we go. Okay, oh. you got it in color? Oh, right. there. there you go. How's You're that? ahead of me there. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> that's great. So, Joe is our star for the month, and uh, although he's not, he's not in the picture because he took the picture. So. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We, we get started on the inside of the magazine, of course, with, with coverage of the collapse of the uh, radio telescope at Arecibo and uh, the ham radio connections there. Uh, so hope that they'll be able to rebuild soon and do continue doing amazing radio science there. Um, we do a, a record-setting de-expedition with record setting in quotes, and you have to read the article to find out why, by uh, Dennis Shapiro, W1UF, about uh, a trip that was on his bucket list for a long time that he finally got to make and uh, get on the air. <clears throat> We've got a fair number of, of technical articles this month, um, maybe a few more than usual. Uh, Mike Charteris down in Australia, VK4QS, has a great piece on refurbishing a Collins R390A URR series receiver. Now, this is a, he's got a lot of history with this too. Um, this was a Cold War military receiver and uh, saw quite a bit of action back in the 50s. And uh, so he shares the history of the, the radio and the story behind it before getting into the details of. Uh, refurbishing it and put it back on the air today. It's a really nice mix of history and technology there. We've got the uh, results of this 2020 CQ Worldwide VHF contest, of course, which uh, had a lot of activity. You know, all of our contests this past year have had record-setting uh, activity because so many people uh, have been home and therefore have uh, decided to get on the air as a way of maintaining their sanity. So not only our contests, league's contests, everybody's contests have all seen record levels of activity this year. And we hope to maintain that even after people can uh, head out again <clears throat> and do other things. We've got the rules for this month, this year's uh, WPX contest. There are some changes, a uh, new category and uh, couple of other things, so I encourage anyone who's planning to operate in the WPX contest uh, starting this year to carefully look at those rules to see about the new changes. One of them is a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, but not directly, um, it's, it's not temporary, it's permanent, called um, multi-transmitter distributed, which provides for people to do to operate from multiple locations as basically as a team um, from multiple station locations um, so that you can work together as a, a multi-op group 
but still maintain your social distancing and either operate from your home station or, or a remote station or something else like that. So it's just another way to encourage more people to be more active on the air. Um, we've got uh, a basic intro to balance and what they are, how they work, and how to make one. This is a topic that is ripe for review every five or ten years. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, secondly, the voice is going away here. What happens when you talk too much? <clears throat> um, got an article from WA3EOQ on a digital to analog hardware converter. And we have a, a lot of D to A converters for software. Um, but this is uh, on doing it in hardware. He basically, he got a new Elecraft K3S transceiver and still wanted to use his older ICOM AT500 tuner for automatic band switching, except that one has an analog output, one has digital output. So he came up with a board to um, let them talk to each other. And it's a very good article. Um, speaking of digital, we've got uh, K5PA and WB2REM returning with uh, another article in their Untethered series. This is on untethering your memories and uh, how to remotely operate ICOM message memories. And uh, it's another cool article. They've got either a four-channel or an eight-channel switch to uh, run your memories, uh, your memory buffers. Um, our new MCOM editor, Stan Broadway and 8BHL, has an article titled, How to Avoid the Torture of Digital Net Check-Ins. <laughs> so that <clears throat> should be good reading for people who are uh, signing in to digital nets. Um, Joe K0NEB talks about not only his new antennas, but uh, logistics for installing new antennas and accessories and uh, a whole bunch of kits that he discovered along the way that a lot of, when you buy an antenna and accessories, you suddenly find yourself with a whole bunch of kits that have to be put together. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, speaking of, of back to basics as we were with uh, balance and stuff, Don Rotolo and 2IRZ, our digital editor, takes us back to basics with uh, PSK31 and DigiPan, which are still going strong despite the onslaught of the FTs. Um, DX editor Bob Schenk in 200 takes us um, with, uh, actually he has a guest editor who's joining him, um, Buddy Santoso, YE1AR, writing about the 7H9H IOTA Expedition to Habe Island, Indonesia. Really, really interesting piece there on these islands and uh, their people and the operation, of course. You know, that's something we, that we always try to get into in our de-expedition stories is um, about the place that you're going and the people who are there and the history of the place, not just we went, we set up, we operated, we went home. Um, every the expedition has that kind of story. What's different in each place is the place itself and the people you encounter there. So we try to focus on that as well as the ham radio part of it. Um, Those are usually my favorite part of the, the stories too. You know, it's a, a lot of times these people are, are going off somewhere to operate. 
place in the world I've never even heard of. So then I'm going on Google. I'm like, where the heck is that? And finding out more. So, but then you get to read the story of what they went through to get there, and then what they did on the island. Sometimes they're doing volunteer work as part of the right. process of being there. And yeah, it's really it's super cool. So it's I mean, obviously we love the ham side of it, but you know, being able to read the story about all of the other aspects of the expedition is always always a good good. Um, can't think of the word I want, but I always enjoy those articles. Leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a good reminder that ham radio is a people hobby, um, right. and we use technology, but our our basic goal is to make contact with other people. And sometimes we do it on the radio. Sometimes we do it in person as part of doing it on the radio, and that kind of thing helps to remember that. Um, our contesting uh, column will wrap up with, uh, again, I mentioned this a little earlier, the uh, Tim N3QE has a titled Fall Contest Season Begins with Record Levels of Activity, and he's gone all the way back through March and, and November. At time that he wrote this, the, um, the uh, CQ Worldwide CW contest had not been held yet, so he didn't have numbers on that. But they were record-breaking numbers as well, over 9,000 uh, logs submitted, same as with the single sideband contest, and just kind of blown away. And uh, he has a picture of himself here operating at W3LPL uh -huh. in a oh properly socially distanced manner. Um, <laughs> so that's a look at uh, some of what's in the magazine this month. I did not get through every article, so there's even more to come. Uh, when you get your January issue, it uh, digital edition should be right on time on January 1st. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I uh, hope everybody has a, a great uh, new year. Uh, happy, healthy in particular. Stay safe out there. And uh, we wish you all the best. And, of course, if you want to subscribe and read the magazine every month, uh, you can go to www.cq-amateur-radio.com and click on the subscribe button. And we've usually got some sort of special going on. I haven't been there in a couple of days, so I'm not sure what it is right now. But we've got something happening. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, Rich. And um, sounds like another awesome issue coming up. And don't forget, everybody, just go ahead and sign up and subscribe. And... If for some reason you don't have a calendar yet for 2021, oh, yeah. I'm sure you guys still have some of those famous calendars. Those are more than 12 months even with some great Absolutely. photos. Absolutely. That's right. They're 15 year, month so. calendars yeah. and uh, they show the, you know, let us showcase the, the breadth of amateur radio and all the fun people and places where our antennas sprout up. Right. Perfect. Well, thank you, and I guess we will see you again at the end of January. And man. Happy New Year. Happy New yeah. Year to everyone. Yeah, thanks, Rich. And, man, the, the end of the month comes so quick now. I mean, Katie, I don't know about you, but it's like we're seeing Rich like every week. You know? Well, sometimes it does feel that way. Yeah. Sometimes we were seeing him a couple weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we don't mind. You can come every week if you wanted. To. Yeah, all right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much, man. Okay, bye All bye, right, everybody. All right. Yeah. Well, now we knew. We've got a peep.
into uh, CQ next month. All right, everybody stand by. We'll be right back in a minute. I'm, hey, I'm real pleased with what I'm seeing here. Uh, looks like we've had 580 people join us tonight. Uh, we've got 183 people right now concurrently watching, so we're doing good. Hit the subscribe button, please. Uh, what it does, it helps us rank our channel, and it helps other people find us. So hit that subscribe button. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back in just a second. Ham for the holidays. Icom's new ID52A and the IC705 give hours of fun and enjoyment working your favorite bands this holiday season. Icom's newest handheld amateur radio is the ID52A. Larger radio, larger color display, and a louder audio. This VHF-UHF digital receiver is much more than a replacement for the ID51A. It's also a new way of communicating. The multifunction D-band D-Star transceiver supports DR mode for easy access to local repeaters based on internal GPS information. The ID52A also has Bluetooth for audio and data control. And for the first time in the amateur radio industry, you can now send photos from a connected Android device. Other features include wideband receiver with guaranteed range of 144 to 148 and 440 to 450 megahertz. Integrated GPS, including grid square location, the micro USB for data transfer programming and charge, and it's IPX7 waterproof. The ID52A is a perfect companion to the IC705. Both use compatible batteries and headsets. And you can also use the same Android app for D-Star operation. The IC705 is a perfect sidekick for hands that like to enjoy both the indoors and outdoors. It's a perfect QRP companion and covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at about just 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touch screen with live band scope and waterfall. And you get 5 watts with the BP272 and you get 10 watts with the 13.8 volt DC. It has a micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and WLAN. Integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger. And it comes with a speaker microphone standard. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for all of your accessories. Visit www.icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and we are back. And, uh, boy, hey, so far it's been a fun show. we got a lot more fun stuff, aren't you? Just a couple quick announcements. Uh, if you're out there listening on International Shortwave on 7490, send us an email. Let us know where you are and how you're hearing us. Send it to tom at w5kub.com. Tom at w5kub.com. This show is all about ham radio, amateur radio. If you're listening out there and you wonder what's going on, uh, stick around. You might, uh, if you're interested. You know, many of us got started in uh, ham radio by being shortwave listeners. 
that was a big part, I think, back 50, 60 years ago when many of us started. So it's a good starting place. It makes you kind of understand what uh, shortwave is. So if you'd like to watch this show, you can tune into the show every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on W5KUB.com. Or you can just go to YouTube and type in W5KUB. Also, all of our shows recorded. I think we have something like 800 shows that are recorded. You can go back and look at any of these shows uh, at any time uh, that you uh, want to. Um, so our turnout is really good tonight. I, I, I would like to ask everybody out there, if you can, help us to build the, uh, the, the viewer base out there. Uh, on Tuesday, send a tweet out, post it in Facebook, remind everybody about it, and uh, we'll have a good time here. Hey, our next person, he's really not a guest. We signed him up, and he's been on the payroll now for about four years. And that's, uh, that's Riley Hollingsworth. And uh, uh, Riley is a ham, uh, K4ZDH. But Riley was also the, uh, um, he was a special counsel to the FCC uh, for about 10 years, I think. And I'm sure Riley can fill us in on that. And he, I think he was the one responsible for keeping all of us straight. He was the one that would go out there and get you if you were doing bad now. You know, now he has retired from that, and he's with the ARL. It's kind of a joint thing, ARL-FCC program called the Volunteer Monitor Program, and he's ahead of that, and he's going to tell us a little about that tonight. And, Riley, we have missed you. I know you've been very busy, but we're going to probably start trimming some of your payback if you don't come on here more often with us. So, hello, Riley. Welcome tonight. Well, if you trim it back anymore, I'll owe you. Well, I, that's, a lot of lost mail around here. that's what we're trying to get to, actually. <laughs> well, uh, I guess you want to hear about the volunteer monitor program. Yeah, let's talk about it, man. All right. Well, uh, for the background and history of the program, I'm not going to bore you with that. If you want to know how we got to that from the OO program, you can go to the league's website and search a volunteer monitor program. I'm going to tell you about what we do and what the philosophy is. And I have one promise to you. If I leave you confused tonight, uh, I promise you to leave you confused on a much higher level and about more important things than when the show started. So that's my um, that's commit my commitment to you. We have about 165 volunteer monitors across the country, and we've had virtually no turnover in the uh, uh, 10 months or so that we've been in operation. And it's been about, uh, about 10 months. Uh, we worked with the FCC regarding certain areas in which they wanted extra coverage because of their field office cutbacks and uh, budget cutbacks. And in fact, the volunteer monitor program was suggested by the FCC in 2017 as a way to enhance amateur enforcement in view of some of their staff and budget uh, reductions. Uh, the FCC promised full cooperation and expedited action in cases where we were getting no cooperation in our own enforcement efforts. Uh, and looking at the last quarterly report, which ended September, um, the total hours that the volunteer monitor spent on listening to HF is, was 6,000 hours, uh, a little over 6,000 on VHF, UHF, and other frequencies. There were 60 incident reports, which means there were 60 problems that they found, but 
as it turns out, only about 10 of those are really serious problems. I mean, sometimes I'll get an incident report, uh, say, for example, key clicks. It happens to be a vintage radio net. Uh, we're, we're not going to get into that. That's not the type of thing that degrades or, or debilitates or embarrasses amateur radio. So only about 10 or so were actionable. Uh, eight of those we were able to, 10 or 20, I guess, uh, eight of those we were able to resolve uh, informally. Uh, two of them went to the FCC. Uh, we sent out about seven warnings, which seemed to have worked except on a couple of frequencies, uh, one of which I'm listening to tonight. I have a small rig upstairs in which I do monitoring. We issued uh, 15 good operator letters, and uh, these are special uh, uh, letters to people who do an especially good job, whether it's running a net or just on a, in a normal QSO or whatever. And as it turns out, uh, three of them went to uh, young licensee teenagers who hadn't been licensed too long. So uh, two of them have contacted me and said that they were going to uh, frame them and, and put them on the wall, which, uh, which I, I, I think is a good thing. Uh, we had two referrals to the FCC, and the FCC gave us two cases. Uh, to work on. Part of the deal was that they could assign us cases to run down where they needed additional evidence but didn't have field engineer in that area. So uh, that's the statistics. But we uh, we also encouraged in, in some of our cases some complainants to use their local law such as harassment by communications which many states have laws against harassment by communications and they were originally designed for telephone harassment but they've evolved to involve, to cover uh, computer and radio as well. For example, uh, a case went to the Tennessee Court of Appeals recently. Uh, a, a local repeater group was getting constant harassment and, and uh, interference from an operator there in, in a town in Tennessee. They went to court harassment by communications, and the judge issued a restraining order. Now, the person that was the subject of the restraining order violated it within an hour. Now, you can't make this mm. stuff up. I mean, this, wow. is, this is a real-life case. So he was taken back to court, and the judge gave him 30 days in jail. So he went to the Tennessee Court of Appeals with, with total confidence, I'm sure, that uh, when, when they argued uh, preemption on the part of the FCC, that he would be uh, turned loose and it would be dismissed. That wasn't the case. The uh, Tennessee Court of Appeals ruled that uh, what was relevant was the, that the restraining order was violated, not that it was an area of federal preemption. So he uh, served his uh, 30 days in jail, and it was a remarkable attitude adjustment. <laughs> and, and hearing him on the air after that, it, w- it was just an incredible transformation. And 30 days in jail will do that. A lot of states have these statutes. So it's dangerous to assume that because the FCC is not necessarily out there, that these people who are trying to destroy our bands will be scot-free. Uh, we can also ask the FCC to block renewals, upgrades, or even to start a proceeding to modify license to delete phone privileges in certain cases. So you just can't assume that the FCC, ina- FCC is inactive because of COVID restrictions. And it's important to uh, point out, though, that the volunteer monitors are not the band police. Our job is to audit the bands and report significant problems that are uh, degrading amateur radio or endangering amateur radio. 
And then we try to resolve them. And if we can't, the FCC gets involved. And I mean, the FCC's made it clear that they expect referrals if we can't uh, get these cases. And as I mentioned earlier, the FCC gives us some cases from time to time to gather evidence. And I want to uh, dispel one all too common notion right now. It's not the no coders on the bands that cause problems. I never noticed one difference in enforcement when the requirement to know Morse code was eliminated. The problems on the bands, to the extent we have them, are by people who've been licensed long enough to know better. And I have never run into a situation yet where somebody came to me and complained about the code being eliminated, where when I asked them if they had filed comments in the no-code proceeding, they said they had. Most of the people complaining about it never file comments in the proceeding in the first place. And a lot of those complaining about it haven't made a CW contact in 20 years. And when you look at the statistics of those filing in the no-code proceeding, it was less than 1% of the total amateur population. So that's my position on the no-code. It's not those people. It's people that should know better. Uh, our, Our job is to preserve the bands and enhance them, but... We don't babysit the bands, and we don't want to be known as the band cops or the people that are out there babysitting the bands. Uh, We have thousands of frequencies, and all of us take examinations on how to use this stuff and how to use the equipment. And we, we cannot try, and we're not going to try to resolve what are essentially playground disputes where someone just won't be courteous enough to move a couple of kilohertz out of the way. Um, you know, you hear a lot of uh, mention these days of rights. You hear very little mention of responsibilities. And when it comes to amateur radio, we don't really have frequency rights. If you look at your license, you'll see that you have privileges, not rights, and privileges can be lifted. And the overall point and the philosophy of the program is that we're all in this together. Uh, there could be other uses for our frequencies. And when you hear idiotic conduct on 7200 which i have on right now which is reasonably tame but usually 7200 sounds the best when you don't hear any communications on it <laughs> other than my s2 noise which isn't bad at all but 7200 is a, is a trouble spot and there could be other uses for all of our frequencies and when you hear conduct like uh Occasionally happens on 75 meters, used to be 3860, now 7200. That endangers all of our frequencies because we just have the privileges of these frequencies. There's a lot of different uses for radio frequencies, and we're lucky to have the thousands of frequencies that we do. Now, the the good news about amateur radio is that we're a cross-section of society. The bad news about amateur radio is that we're a cross-section of today's society which uh, too often is rude and selfish and boisterous and impolite and will we'll take offense when no offense, was in, no offense was intended, and we focus on rights and not responsibilities. And we, all of us have a responsibility not to destroy our own bands. You know, I was often asked over the last 20 years, would the Internet destroy amateur radio or would Echolink destroy it? There were people who were convinced that Echolink would destroy amateur radio. 
Or would PSK-31 or FT-8 or remote stations destroy it? Or would WhatsApp or texting destroy it? And obviously they haven't. Uh, the biggest threat to amateur radio, if you really want to know what it is, the biggest threat to amateur radio is the microphone. And you'll hear that on sometimes sometimes on 75 and uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes 40, as I said. It's the ugly, deliberate interference situations with slander and juvenile delinquents uh, who have thousands of dollars of radio equipment, or rather, I should say, adults acting as juvenile delinquents. They have thousands of dollars of radio equipment, beautiful signals, and they act like that on the bands. It's an embarrassment. I think it was uh, Edward R. Murrow who said, just because your opinion can be heard around the world, does not mean it's any more important than when it can be heard only at the end of the bar. And we need to all think about that. We tend to, too many people take the bait, you know, get into an argument. We have a responsibility to pass on this, this joyful avocation to future licensees in at least as good a shape as we found it. Uh, on some of these conduct situations, it's not just the actions of the guilty parties, it's the overall conduct that would eventually destroy amateur radio. And we don't have the same clout, for example, with our next series of challenges. We don't have the same clout with the solar industry as we do with the power industry. Now, the power industry overall, for radio frequency interference, has been exceptionally cooperative. In fact, they have been on a board, and I have been on this board, this committee we've been working for, about three years, and we're just about done with it, to come up with an IEEE standard for resolving power line interference. But in the next few years, solar power interference, especially interference from these vast solar panel arrays, will far outnumber radio frequency interference from power lines. The very large arrays have uh, devices called optimizers, and these are on the extremely large fields which act, uh, they, the optimizers ramp up certain sections of solar panels when other sections of solar panels are blocked by clouds, and it tears up amateur radio big time. So we have to take the high road and not embarrass ourselves and not aggravate ourselves to death because we have to work with the solar industry, and uh, if, if the solar industry listens to our frequencies, we don't want to to be embarrassed before a Senate or a Congressional Subcommittee or whatever. It's not against the FCC rules to make an ass of yourself on the microphone. But every time you do, you invite extinction and you invite other uses of our frequency. The main thing about, and the, the Orientals have a saying about Americans, that Americans always take the bait. And we, all, we have to get in an argument. We hear something we don't like. We have to get in an argument. But on every receiver ever made and every transmitter uh, or every transceiver, there's one big knob. It's the biggest one on there, and it's made real big for a purpose. So you can easily change frequencies without having to open the instruction manual. It's just an intuitive giant knob on there. They could be all the same size. In the older rigs that would have 46 knobs and buttons, there was one big one, which was the VFO. And on other rigs, modern-day rigs, it's the same way. So uh, when you hear things that are harmful 
to amateur radio. Just uh, I would advise people not to engage, as tempting as it may be. Just turn the big knob and think about your responsibilities and what you owe amateur radio. And if you don't do that, you'll contribute to making it extinct. The purpose of our program is to prevent that. We want amateur radio to last 100 years. I used to say a thousand years, but I don't even think Earth will be here in a thousand years at the rate we're going. So I'd be happy with a hundred years. But our purpose of our program is to enhance radio and to prevent extinction. And neither we nor the FCC can regulate uh, idiocy on the bands or selfishness. So I would just encourage people, listen to what you're saying, what you sound like. Um, Act on the air as if you knew that there was a grandfather or grandmother somewhere demonstrating amateur radio to a 12-year-old who might be a future licensee, future inventor, future scientist, or whatever. And if you if you don't sound good enough to do that, then I would really hope that you would look at your conduct on the bands. Overall, amateur radio has splendid and always has had splendid compliance, but uh, maybe being in enforcement too long, I tend to focus on the bad spots, but we need to, uh, we just don't need to engage that. And if you do hear it, um, leave the frequency. Uh, a couple of nets I have pulled out of because they were a little too raw for me and they, they were not a good reflection on amateur radio. And I've lost some long-term friends over the way they acted on the radio. That's the price we pay and that's what we have to do if we want to keep it. But uh, if there are any volunteer monitors listening, I want to thank you for for the last 10 months. You have really put in a lot of hours, a lot of good uh, a lot of good information. And you know these guys that are acting and, and women too that we have that are acting as volunteer monitors, they could be spending that time enjoying amateur radio. But to the extent they use their time to monitor, they're using their time to help preserve and enhance amateur radio so. I can't thank them enough. The program was much more difficult to set up than I thought, but it's running much better than I thought that it would be at this point. And so February will be our one-year mark. And um, I'm really uh, really happy with the way the program's gone. We haven't been able to have a lot of meetings uh, with the, the league or any meetings in person because of COVID. But the good thing about the volunteer monitor program is their work is done from home in front of the rig anyhow. So it hasn't affected us like it has other aspects of the, of the hobby, such as ham fest. I would give anything to go to a ham fest. Uh, I took them for granted before, but I never will again. When everything opens up, I'm going to try to go to every one within 250 miles. I just really miss it. And it's the camaraderie which we're suffering from not having during COVID. But uh, hopefully this next year, will be better. And uh, thank you, Tom, for, for having me on. And I'll update you on our program anytime you want to. And it's good to see all you folks here on, on the program. You know, uh, Ryan, just a couple of questions. The, now, are, are these volunteers, are they kind of anonymous? Do their, do their names no. get... No, they're, they're not, not anonymous. We just don't publish the names. <clears throat> and the reason for that is uh, towards the end of the OO program, a lot of the OOs were uh, really uh, demoralized because they would send somebody a notice and then they would hear themselves being talked about and ridiculed on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 25 years ago, if you got a notice from an OO, 
you looked at it and said, man, I'm glad I heard from them rather than the FCC. But these days, uh, at the end of the OO program, people would get a notice from the OO. And, of course, what do they think about? You know what they're thinking about. How can I sue this person? What right do they have to send me a notice, even though they're trying to do you a favor? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we we it's not keeping them anonymous. We just don't publish who they are. And the FCC insisted on that, too, because well, they wanted good. them to that's be good. free. And you know, another thing so I like, another thing I like that you mentioned there is this group sends out good operation letters. Back in the sixties, nobody sent me a good operation letter. You know, I did get yeah, a letter they, once, and it was one of those bad letters from the FCC. Well, they um, they they're free to nominate certain licensees yeah. for a good operator letter, and and the FCC wanted us to encourage good operation as well as discourage bad operation so uh there is a good operator what is that good operator report w2aew man that must have been a mistake i'm just kidding but uh we you know we've had some very deserving uh licensees get these letters and we go over them quite uh, the nominations we really go over them uh, dan henderson at the league and i Maybe a couple other people. We look at each and every report sent in and decide uh, who gets it. And out of about 50 that are sent, I would say maybe five get letters. But it's it's a good thing to have. And I still have my original A1 operator certificate, I think it was called, yeah. by the AWR on the old days. I, I still have that in one of my first log books. Yeah. So, right. Well, I wanted to mention that uh, I got a – OO report uh, when I first got into ham radio I had bad key clicks on my uh, CW and I wasn't aware of it and so uh, I got that card in the mail and I was so happy that it wasn't an official you know it wasn't an yeah. FCC uh, report I yeah. was so happy that it was an OO report I actually put that report up in my QSL cards on the wall yeah. And you know, and I got an OO one too. I got, I might have got two OO cards. I think I was like two cycles out of my novice band one time. But you know, I got that card. But I have another question yeah. for you, Riley. Uh, sure. Do you um, have any openings in your volunteer observer uh, program? And uh, how would we, uh, and if there are, how would we contact uh, okay. uh, what we did to? solicit applications which we announced it on the league website and we got 250 applications right off the bat within the filing window so we closed the filing window in july and then we started the process of telephone interviews with every one of these applicants that's what i did last summer not this past summer but the one before that and uh we expected to open it up to additional applications uh, frequently but there hasn't been any turnover We've had one person that uh, got COVID and, and asked to be relieved for a while, but we redshirted them and kept them in the reserve pool. And we have about 50 in the reserve pool who can't be in the program right now, but whose application looked good and, and want to be. We didn't really, this is the thing that still uh, amazes me to this day and I'm happy about. We didn't say no to anybody. This first batch of applications were excellent. We had broadcast engineers. We had software designers for SDR, for Apple. A lot of good applications. So if it looked good, we 
we said you're on. And I, I think in the spring, probably we would open it up again. And you would see announcements of that on the league website. And it would say that we're taking applications for volunteer monitors again. Um, some of these people may get tired of doing it. I have, I've only had one person resign, and that was because they didn't like the FCC's posture on language on the amateur band. But um, we periodically have someone that says, I have some, uh, severe job uh, requirements or health issues in the family. I'd like to be put on the standby list. And we put them back mm -hmm. in the reserve. But I would say that at the earliest, uh, next spring, we may ask for a few more applications. But the way that would be announced would be on the league news items, and there'd be a you know, lengthy filing period and plenty of, plenty of publicity. But we had some really, really good applications, and you didn't have to have a, a, a lot of exotic qualifications or equipment. Uh, we have people that have a basic transceiver uh, with a wire antenna. We have people who have antenna farms and tens of thousands of dollars of equipment. We have them across the board in that sense, and uh, we are a little sparse in some states such as Iowa. Uh, I don't think we have a volunteer monitor there, but, but that has been a very sane state from a radio standpoint anyway. You know, if you need if you needed one person an hour, it means you would need three thousand in California. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, you know how that goes. Yeah. But, uh, we, I was really happy with the general spread and coverage of the volunteer monitors, and and uh, by chance we were able to uh, have additional coverage in the areas that the FCC requested. So that part of it went well. But uh, you have my call sign, and anybody that has any questions about this anytime, uh, just send me an email, and I will call you. It may take a day or two, but I will call you or answer your email. All right, and you're uh, you're in QRZ, and uh, we'll see. Let me put your uh, put your call back up. There we go, K4ZD8. Look him up in uh, QRZ and uh, send Raleigh an email, and I'll answer it. Uh, I'll answer every one of them. It may take me a day or two, but you'll get an answer. Yeah. Well, man, Riley, we really appreciate it um, uh, having you here tonight. Um, you. you uh have been a part of the show. In fact, you have a 15-minute segment each week on here, and when you're not here, we just have 15 minutes of silence. So, if okay. you, you know, anytime you want to come back on here, uh, you can fill that spot, all right? That reminds me of I worked for an AM radio station in high school. And uh, we had to read the obituaries every week. Oh, boy. Play organ music. Yeah. And if nobody died that week in Rock Hill, South Carolina, so we still did you do? Five, five minutes of silence. Is that right? Organ music. So you could do that on your show. I, I guess I guess we could. Real quick. We could do that. Man, hey, thanks so much, man. Hey, look, Thank hey, you. I know it's late on the East Coast. It's probably past your bedtime, but we got Alan coming up next. He's staying awake. He's in the East Coast, and he's going to talk about SDRs here in a minute. You're welcome to stick around a whole show and take part in it if you want to. I will stick around and watch it and, and listen, listen to the amateur frequencies, but I probably won't. All right. But I'm anxious to hear the presentation on SDR, though. All right. Hey, I just saw. So that I don't hear the snoring. I just, uh, and just let me say, I, 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 my friend Michael Coulter, I see him in the chat room. Michael is up in, uh, with Hello, the Dayton, Dayton Hamvention. You guys know Michael. 
And uh, they're getting ready. They're thinking they're going to pull this uh, ham fest off, the ham venture, and I hope they can. Maybe oh, things will get better soon. Hello, Michael. I'll be, it'll be good to see you at a ham fest. So I think Michael probably just tuned in for you tonight, Riley. So that's, that's great. Thanks, Michael, for being here. Uh, let's see. Uh, just real quick, uh, since we're an audio-visual show, but i got to do a little audio here. If you're listening on shortwave out there, you're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. This is a show all about ham radio, and you just heard from Raleigh Hollinsworth, who is retired from the FCC and is now heading up the volunteer monitor program that monitors our ham radio frequencies and uh, tries to you know keep it under control there hey if you're out there uh, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com we'd love to hear from you also i'm uh, pretty pleased with uh, our tennis tonight we our our uh, viewer base grew quite a bit tonight i'm seeing a number here that we've had 870 people come into the show tonight so uh, that's uh, that's a, a pretty good number, I'm thinking, tonight. We will try to improve that next week. And if you're out there in a the chat room, hey, man, please press the subscribe button. As I mentioned earlier, we've never asked you to subscribe. We always marketed or branded our show as a non-YouTube show. But it's caused us some issues where we're not getting noticed on, on uh, YouTube. So... Please hit the subscribe button. Hit the little uh, bell that will notify you when uh, you know when uh, we go live. And, and hit the like button. Hit the like button a couple times because the like button will drive up our rating, and that way more people will see us on YouTube. So thank you so much. Hey, let's go out here to Alan. Alan, how you doing, man? Up here in Jersey. In in New Jersey, yes. Uh, old people outside of New Jersey call it Jersey. We just Jersey. Call it New- so, so good to good to see you, uh, Riley. Uh, really great presentation, and uh, glad to, glad to have you heading up this uh, this really good organization. So, uh, just a quick uh, funny story. You mentioned how uh, the the, the cross section of the population is a good thing and a bad thing. It reminds me of kind of this COVID situation. Working from home, I tell people, you know, the good thing is you can get up and get a cookie whenever you want. You know, the bad thing is you get up and get a cookie whenever you want. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what happens here. So uh, let's see, uh, Tom. I just need you to allow me to share, and, uh, and we'll you know, up, we're going to have to we're going to have to make this. Hey, let me so, ask you a uh, question. Uh, you have some rights. Can you not do it yourself? No, I, I have the rights on YouTube, but I don't have rights. No, I, I've assigned uh, you. I've assigned you some rights here. Look at the bottom and see if you got anything down at the bottom where you can like bounce people and yeah, that's uh, that's I think all on the YouTube thing, but not on Zoom. I just need oh, the. Uh, man, I need oh, oh, you're you're you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm losing it. There's too many things to click on. There you there go. There you go. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So what I was this is just a, a short little thing. I'm not going to get into a lot of details on SDR. I just want to kind of differentiate between what is an SDR and what isn't. So that's uh, very what we start off with here. So let me do a quick share of this presentation here. And uh, we'll bring that uh, full screen. So you should be able to see that all there now. So again, I'm Alan Wilkie, W2AEW. And there's our, our tech tips segment for tonight. So just a brief little introduction to what is software-defined radio. So the first thing we'll take a look at is what is a conventional radio kind of look like, and this is a, a very simplified diagram of a dual conversion superhet radio, which is what most of the 
what we'll call hardware-defined radios are, or HDRs, okay? Um, and there's, sometimes there's additional conversion stages for things like image rejection and selectivity in the radio uh, to give you some flexible filtering because it's easier to get narrow band filtering at uh, lower IFs. Uh, it's easier to get wider band filtering at, at higher IFs, but it's harder, you know, the selectivity is better in one, but image rejection is better in the other, so multiple conversion stages are used also to get wider frequency range and things like that, which is why we'll typically see, you know, multiple conversion stages in some of the traditional radios, okay? Um, all mode uh, transceivers and radios and things like that, this is just kind of showing more of a receiver chain, but uh, the transmit chain just works in the opposite direction. As I mentioned, multiple filter selections available uh, to give you best image rejection uh, and uh, adjacent band rejection. Multiple filter selections in kind of a lower frequency IF for, uh, for good signal-to-noise ratio and adjacent signal rejection. Uh, there's also additional filtering and equalization available in the audio amplification stage to enhance your listening experience. These are all things that are typically done in hardware in non-SDR radios. You'll also have multiple detectors uh, and demodulators for different modes, AM, FM, uh, single sideband, CW, and others. Each one of those has its own, uh, or sometimes will share, but oftentimes will have their own detectors and demodulators uh, that are necessary, all built in hardware. Uh, if you, you know, some radios have got pan adapter outputs that are typically taken from one of the higher IF stages to look at wideband RF activity. So these are all things that are, you know, have been in, uh, you know, our hardware-defined radios for for ages here. So, but I just want to kind of point out. Know, some of these things because these we're going to see these same things in software-defined radios as well. Also optional scanning features and things like that. So the first kind of entree into you know what we call what we now call software-defined radios was starting to see some digital signal processing entering into the radio. So just because a radio has DSP or digital signal processing doesn't necessarily mean that it's a software-defined radio. It just means that we're starting to move bits closer and closer to the antenna. Uh, DSP, or digital signal processing, was kind of the first entrance of digital signal processing into our radios. Um, and for digital signal processing, a signal is sampled, much like a movie taking snapshots of, 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 of action. Um, an, an analog to digital converter takes voltage snapshots, if you will, of a signal, and then those those signals are essentially just numeric samples. That's the sampling rate, how fast we take those samples has to be more than twice the highest frequency that you actually want to go and, and characterize and analyze or process. Um, you basically have a time series of binary numbers. Okay, it's just a bi and they, these all essentially get put into memory and then go and processed. These numeric samples can then be altered uh, mathematically uh, and that's really the, the signal processing piece of it by just doing math on this. And then you just reassemble them at the other end. You convert them back to analog so you can listen to what, uh, you know, the result of this processing. So the, a digital to analog converter takes those a time series of modified binary numbers and converts them back into analog. So this does not make a software-defined radio, but it's a technique that is used within um, software-defined radios. It was kind of the basis for getting some digital signal processing in of our in our analog radios. Okay, so the first entrance for DSP, where was it kind of uh, encompassed? The first place it happened was in at the back end of the radio, audio baseband sampling and then filtering. 
and equalization and things like that. This is the first place we started to see some of this uh, the DSP going into radios, mainly because the frequencies are low. They're audio frequencies, meaning that that eased the requirements on the sample rate uh, for the analog to digital converter and the digital to analog converter, as well as the signal processor, right? Because you, you, you don't want to have a lot of delay in this processing path because that could you know, affect how, you know, if it becomes an audible delay, that, that might be a problem in trying to have a conversation, okay? So um, this is all done very easily, um, at, or was done easiest at these low frequencies like the audio frequencies. So that's the first place we started to see DSP. Later, as technology advanced and the ADCs and DACs and DSP processors got faster, we started to see digital signal processing move up into the next IF, like the second or third, the last IF of, uh, of the radio, because now we can sample fast enough to be able to sample that IF frequency and then do some math on that to do additional things like filtering at the IF level. Uh, again, the ADC and DAC requirements are a little more stringent because we've got to sample faster and process things faster. But as technology advanced and integrated circuits got better, that's where we started to see a lot more uh, processing. So that's the next place where DSP came in. That's where you hear like digital IF filters. That's, that's really what we're talking about here. Okay. Again, as technology advances, the bits are essentially just moved closer and closer to the antenna. This is driven by the speed of the ADC, the converters, the analog to digital and digital to analog converters, and driven by the speed of the processors to do the math that's necessary on the digital signals. Uh, so more and more processing is done on, on sampled signals versus analog signals, and we're going to get closer and closer to SDR. And when we start incorporating other functions like filtering, demodulation, down conversion, things like that, now we start to call these things software-defined radios, okay? Because now we can actually start replacing some of these discrete analog circuits with just software to actually do the, to implement what's going on, okay? So kind of at a glance, uh, that this real simple top-down block diagram here is, you know, a really very simplified version of a, of a software-defined radio. We'll typically have some RF front end, maybe some roofing filtering, some pre-amplification, some attenuation, things like that. And then, you know, the holy grail is to throw the digitizer, the analog digital converter, right there. Digitize as soon as possible, okay? And, uh, and we digitize in a way to create something called IQ samples that I'll talk about here in a moment. Once we've got that, then it's really just a matter of doing all the mathematical processing and then going back to an audio signal that you can listen to. So a software-defined radio is really a lot more than simply software-controlled, right? A software, in a software-defined radio, software implements several features. It implements down conversion, which was typically done with a mixer and a local oscillator and a filter, right? We can do that all mathematically in a software-defined radio, okay? Uh, the filtering uh, and additional filtering above, above and beyond that. Doing actually demodulation, detection, and things like that can now be, all be done digitally, um, creating things like RF uh, and audio uh, spectrograms and waterfalls. Because we're, we've got all the math there, we can do a bunch of FFTs and display things in interesting ways. Okay, so that's all part of what the software does in an SDR. Be able to do scanning and things like that. And be able to do decoding and things like that. A lot of these uh, software-defined radios have got CW decoders and PSK decoders, and things like that built in so you can get those displays uh, decoding right on your screen. Okay, 
Now, all of this is really enabled because the processing, the, the sampling of the data is, is, is done in such a way it's called IQ or quadrature sampling. And I'll just do two, two quick little slides on this. I'm not going to get into this in depth. I've got a video on it. If you're interested, you can go take a look at. But um, so what is IQ? So just to give you a quick basic of what IQ, I and Q are, I and Q are quadrature signals. And that's a big word that means something very simple. It just means that you have two signals that are 90 degrees out of phase, like a sine wave and a cosine wave. These two are, these waves are said to be in quadrature because they have a 90 degree phase relationship between them. That's all quadrature means, okay? But why is it important? Because you can do interesting things with quadrature signals. Like if we, we talk, look at just adding a, a sine and a cosine wave, right? If we just modify the amplitude of the sine or the cosine wave, we can cause the output to change, right? So if we, if we multiplied the cosine wave by one and multiplied the sine wave by zero, the output would be a cosine, right? If we do the opposite, the output would be a sine. So simply by changing the amplitude of, a, of one or these one wave or the other, we've actually created a phase shift. That's kind of interesting. So if, if both the I and Q are the same level, you're going to have a sine wave output that's shifted by 45 degrees. So we can actually do a phase shift, which is essentially like a modulation, just by changing amplitudes of signals. Okay. So if we extend that concept further, you can arbitrarily change the amplitude of an I and a Q signal, add them together to create any type of modulation, amplitude modulation, frequency modulation, phase modulation, single sideband. You can do any kind of modulation with appropriate I and Q magnitude changes. So just by doing simple amplitude variation of these I and Q components. Now all this works in reverse in a receiver as well. So any RF signal coming in if we do a quadrature down conversion to create I and Q waveforms, okay, um, and this is essentially what happens in most SDRs. We do this, uh, you, you hear um, uh, you know, quadrature down conversion, or uh, uh, there's a couple of other different terms, the Taylor uh, quadrature converter that's used in a lot of uh, hobbyist uh, you know, kit SDRs and things like that. That's it's our quadrature sampling detector, basically the same thing, okay, to create I and Q signal pairs. Once you've got those I and Q signal pairs, you know everything you need to know about that signal. Without getting into the complex math of it, once you have I and Q, you essentially know the amplitude and phase of the incoming RF signal at any instant in time. And once you know that, you can mathematically do anything with that signal in terms of looking at its spectrum, demodulating it, shifting its frequency, anything like that, once you've got that data. So I'm not going to get I'm not going to get into the complex math of it. I do have a uh, a video on on, on I and Q in more detail, but uh, but filtering, demodulation, down conversion, all of that stuff is made very easy, relatively speaking. <laughs> uh, it's really just math at this point. It's just algorithms to to process this IQ data to ultimately wind up with the audio signals that you want to listen to, and then but the same thing works in reverse. Okay. So what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? In a sense, uh, a software-defined radio is simpler hardware design, right? I don't need all these mixers and local oscillators and filters. I don't need to have separate de detectors or demodulators for different modes. I don't need to have separate filters and things like that for, you know, CW filters and single sideband filters and roofing filters. All that stuff can be done digitally. So the hardware itself is actually simpler, okay? You also get wideband visibility. I mean, you've you all seen radio with the pan adapters on them, the band scopes on them, and things like that. 
and that's you know even before SDRs, we, we started seeing those and and some of the rigs and things like that. But it was all done with digital signal processing, because it, since we're digitizing the signal at closer and closer to the antenna, we're doing it at, at over a much wider bandwidth, so we can actually see wideband activity. Um, because the filtering is all defined algorithmically, right, mathematically, we essentially have infinitely variable filtering. We don't have to have discrete filters at specific bandwidths, and that's all you have. You've got this infinitely variable filtering capability. And also, new modes, new features, new capabilities are just software or firmware upgrades. You don't have to go buy another filter and solder it in your radio if you wanted to get a different filter. Right? You can get an upgrade to the firmware, to the, to the, uh, the transceiver, and get new capabilities. So, uh, so that's all, it's all possible by having uh, everything kind of software-defined. Uh, advanced features like you know, equalization both on receive and on transmit to minimize distortion and intermodulation distortion and things like that. All that can be done now in, uh, right in the radio itself. And a, a potential for some really pretty high performance. If you take a look at, um, oh shoot, the, the name just escaped out of my head, the guy that, that rates all the, the radios and has the whole big table of all radio performance and things like that, you know who I'm talking about, Sherwood. If you look at Sherwood's uh, website, all of the radios that have got the highest you know, blocking dynamic range and things like that, they're all software-defined radios now because the technology has really kind of gotten there to enable that. So what are some of the disadvantages? There is a potential for overload um, and limited dynamic range because of the fact that we're sampling and, and digitizing a wide band of frequencies. So if you're trying to listen to a very low-level signal at one end of the band that's being converted and you've got a signal that's really far away but very high level, that might overload the analog to digital converter. Okay, So there's a potential there. And you're generally only going to run into that, though, when you were uh, maybe in a contest, working in a multi-op contest situation or something like that. But, but that is a potential disadvantage for SDRs. And again, a lot of this comes down to money, right? The, if, if you look at some of the entry-level SDRs, like an IC7300 or something like that, that's not going to necessarily perform as well as like in an FTDX 101 or one of the other you know kind of higher performance uh, you know SDRs that are out there. Okay, you know, in some SDRs, and it's not so much true these days, but some of the SDRs, the all of this digital signal processing was done in a PC, so you needed a really fast PC to do all this work. Um, more and more now, the, all this processing is done in the radio itself, so you don't necessarily need that. But it, it was at one point one of the bigger disadvantages with the SDRs. And we saw those with some of the really early ones, like the Pegasus and things like that. It really needed, you needed a, uh, a pretty good radio. And even some of the early flex radios, you needed a PC to kind of go along with the, the SDR hardware. But again, most, most uh, SDRs now are kind of self-contained. But not a whole lot of disadvantages. Uh, I talked about wideband visibility a couple of times, and that really kind of comes down to being able to see, you know, the spectral activity of, you know, RF activity. Now, the screenshot that I grabbed here was actually from a just a, a little inexpensive uh, USB software-defined radio looking at the FM broadcast band, be able to see the spectrum of all that, all the broadcast activity and things like that. But uh, you've seen these types of displays now on uh, on the modern SDR rigs and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the, you know, the amateur radio equivalent of a fish finder that you would have on your fishing boat, right? See where the uh, the activity is and see where it isn't. So you might want to find a, uh, 
a blank spot to go call CQ or you want to go find, uh, you know, where there's some QSOs happening, real easy to go see that. And uh, the SDRs typically are going to give you a couple of megahertz in, in many cases of visibility. So oftentimes you can look at an entire band, you know, one of our bands to see what's going on. Okay. There's a sampling of some of the SDRs that are out there. Um, probably one of the more popular ones out there now is the ICOM IC7300. Uh, inexpensive, you know, about a thousand bucks, and you hear them all over the place on the radio. Really, it's amazing performance for the money, you know, compared to what uh, you could spend that same money 15 years ago. You don't get the kind of performance you're getting like with the 7300. And then, of course, they've got some higher ones like the 7610 is kind of a more high performance, you know, SDR uh, from ICOM. Um, you know, kind of the most recent uh, Yesu entrants or Yesu uh, rigs, um, the FTDX101D and the FT, FTDX10, which was just announced, all software-defined radios. Uh, the new Elecraft, uh, actually, I put KX4. I think it's just a K4. I got a typo there, so it's just a K4. Uh, I'm not sure if that's actually released yet. I think it is, uh, but that's uh, a new high-performance SDR. You know, all of the flex radios, they've always been SDRs, and you, they've got them ranging from entry level to kind of the really high end, uh, you know, the 6700, I think, is that the one I'm showing there. But uh, there's, there's uh, you know, a number of others out there as well, but that's just a quick sampling of those. But So anyway, that's, it's just a, you know, that's just a, a quick sampling of what's out there for SDRs, what makes an SDR different from a hardware-defined radio. Uh, what you can expect to get out, of, get out of them and some of the advantages. You know, to me, I think that, um, you know, m more and more radios are going to be going that way. I I've seen some rumors of Kenwood coming out with a new high-end, uh, developing a new high-end uh, pure SDR. I think they're going to call it the, the ST995 or something like that, but I've only seen kind of rumors of it, and so I'm not sure what that, if anything's happening there. But um, I think we're going to see a lot more going that way. Um, to me, I'm still I'm still a bit old school. I like buttons and knobs, so I, I prefer an SDR that has buttons and knobs on it as opposed to something where I'm using a PC and a touchscreen, but that's just me. Uh, but uh, the, the good thing is, is that uh, there's something out there for everybody. There's SDRs with buttons and knobs. There's SDRs that are out there that are just black boxes, then you're using your PC to control everything. And just the fact that uh, you know, this technology kind of enables all those options for us. So anyway, I hope that uh, was a little instructive, gave you some idea of what uh, what SDRs are compared to HDRs, or hardware-defined radios, and um, you know, start taking a look at that. I'm a, you know, I would imagine that probably at least half of us have probably got uh, software-defined radios in our shack now. I'm still not one of them yet, but <laughs> maybe, maybe someday. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I... Uh... I like my SDR radios, and uh, you know, back uh, Alan, back many years ago, uh, and and I'm sure uh, Riley probably feels the same way. Hey, back then we still had the big knobs back then as we do today, but Riley, we didn't have any, we didn't have the band scope and stuff back then. Isn't that neat having that now? I mean, technology is great. Yeah, the, the band scope is the thing that uh, of is probably the thing that I would probably gravitate towards the most uh, when I move make a move to SDR. I still have got uh, an old Kenwood uh, SM220, you know, analog band scope hooked up to uh, to my uh, my Kenwood HF rigs here. But uh, but I, I do play around sometimes with those little um, 
you know, RTL dongle, SDR radios, that's mm -hmm. you know, a $20 dongle you stick in your PC, run SDR Sharp or one of the other software-defined uh, you know, uh, SDR uh, applications on it. And uh, pretty amazing for, for, for what it is, you know. Alan, I have a, uh, a little more expensive one, but this is the uh, FunCube Dongle Pro Plus. Oh, yeah. For about $200. And that is my HF radio for Whisper. I just leave this on all the time, monitoring Whisper, and it does oh, wow. a fantastic job on HF and, of course, a VHF and UHF. Yeah. But uh, the Pro Plus version, um, it's got all kinds of nice filters built into it, and it's just a little USB uh, dongle, but it does a fantastic job on HF. I use a HD SDR, okay. also H SDR Sharp. Um, either one works great with this. Oh, that's great. Very good. Yeah, the, you know, there's, there's so many out there. I, I, I could have put another 20 slides of the various SDR offerings that are out there, but I like I like that, uh, that little uh, that little one because it's so portly. You, you could be traveling, just bring that thing with you and a piece of wire, and you've got an HF radio <laughs> so to, go, to go listen to. So. All right. All right. Well, great, man. Hey, thanks. Great, uh, great uh, segment there. Um, let's see what we got going here now. Let's jump over to Bill. You said you had something you want to talk about, Bill. What do you got going here? Well, uh, there's an interesting event going on right now at the International Space Station to honor their 20th anniversary in space. And the, uh, the, uh, one of the ham uh, transmissions, uh, they're sending down slow scan television uh, until probably 1800 UTC on the 31st. So every mm -hmm. pass that goes over your area, uh, tuned to 145-800. It's, uh, the APRS is usually on 145-825, but, uh, the, uh, slow scan TV is on 145.800. And I downloaded an app on my iPhone because I didn't have mm -hmm. a slow-scan TV program loaded into the computer, and I didn't have um, all that set up. So I wanted to quickly um, set it up, and I found a app from Black Cat Systems. And they make a lot of stuff for basically uh, the Macintosh, you know, the iMacs and things. But they also make a, a lot of apps for the iPhone. They have a a teletype, a Morse code decoder, all on your iPhone. So this is this is what I picked up on my iPhone just by holding just by holding it up to the speaker of my two meter radio yep. as the ISS uh, flew over. You can see it says ARISS twentieth anniversary celebration. I've been watching a lot of people doing that with just by holding their telephone up to their uh, handy talkie. You can see that's on my iPhone, mm -hmm. and it's a really cool program. It's a free uh, program. Um, well, actually, it's uh, anyways. This is the actual program, and you can set up. There's two buttons for uh, phase and skew, and you have to adjust that a little bit. The the mode that they're using is called uh, PD120, Papa Delta 120, and once you uh, enter that into this little app hold it up to them to the speaker you'll hear the tone start and the takes about two minutes 
for each uh, each frame of video. And once you uh, decode that, you can upload it to a website. And let me see if I can find it. It's spaceflightsoftware.com. And then there's uh, AR, ARISS underscore SSTV. Just search for ARIS SSTV. ARISS SSTV. It's damaged to radio in the space station. And it basically, uh, there's a place you can upload what you receive. And if you do that, there's also a link that uh, you can apply for a special certificate that you receive this special uh, event. So uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, they, they're transmitting various kinds of pictures, and there's a place you can uh, go on that website to see all the, uh, the, the pictures that have been received by hams around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Oh, I've got so many things going. I'm probably going to have to skip that right now. But well, it, a lot of people are, a lot of people are having a lot of fun all, with it. Um, about uh, 1 p.m. Central Time uh, mm-hmm. on the 31st. So you have uh, okay. all day tomorrow and part of New Year's Eve to receive the, the event. It's been going on all this week. And uh, a great place to see where and when the uh, space station is going to be flying overhead is heavens-above.com and look for, click on the ISS link and then click on the button for all passes because you don't want to just see the visual passes, although that is a great place to see the space station visually if the lighting conditions are right. Mm -hmm. So... uh, that way you can, and, and they have a whole list there of all the amateur radio satellites that are going to be flying over your area, and uh, heavensdashabove.com. And I'll pro- try and put that into the chat room here. Well, I assume there's an Android version and an iPhone version, probably. Uh, I'm using an iPhone. Um, mm-hmm. I assume that there are slow scan TV programs for uh, yeah. the Android yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, so let's talk. They also do Teletype, PSK thirty one, uh, Hellschreiber. They have all kinds of the uh, programs for the iPhone uh, that you can download from. from Bill, that. which one are you using on the iPhone to do the uh, the SSTV? What's the What's the name of the app? It's called SSTV. It's by BlackCatSystems.com. Okay. Thanks. But mm. if you just search for SSTV or Slow Scan TV. On the App Store on an iPhone, you'll see it's basically it's the only one I can find. And it, you just a free download, open it up, and you're good to go. Well, Bud says that Robot 36 is for the ARISS Slow Scan TV. That well, that was in the past, but right now for this event, they're using uh, oh. Papa Delta 120. Okay, uh, it's a you know, it instead of taking 36 seconds like their old robot 36, uh, okay, to uh, it takes two minutes. All right, um, let's talk a minute, Bill, about our Pico balloons. And I'm trying to adjust your picture, and I'm having tra- yeah, there we go. That might be a little better. 
Yeah, let's talk a little about Pico balloons. You know, our last balloon, KUB-22, only made it one and a half times around the world. It seems like China always gets us. There's something, something yeah. around Mongolia, man. It's pretty bad. Tibet area, and uh, that that was a really rugged area you came down in. That uh, the yeah. mountaintops were around fifteen, seventeen thousand feet tall. Yeah. Well, uh, we're getting twenty-three ready, you know, and. We're getting 23 ready to go. In fact, it's on the air right now in the dark out there under a tree. And it's transmitting right now. If you go to APRS, you should see W5KUB-23. And the battery is probably going to say it's getting low, probably down about 2.7 volts, 2.6, I don't know. But anyway, as I mentioned to you on chat, man, we're always wanting to do something different about the balloons. Now, we're going to be flying, I guess, more SPS-13s coming in. I've got the tracker ready out there, but I want to shake it up a little bit. I'm thinking, okay, why don't we go heavyweight, like 25 grams, go heavyweight with the big balloon, and take a cube, like a cube set, and put solar cells on all four sides and the top. I think I can make one come in at about, 23 grams doing that and if i don't go four sides maybe go three sides vertical with all solar cells and cells on top i might could come in a little near 20. but that's only going to gain me what maybe an hour or two during the day well the uh, uh one of the new zealand hams uh he put a trap as that um he angled them i think he had three yeah, yeah, I saw that. Panels angled at 45 degrees in a pyramid shape. Yeah. And he was able to get down to within a degree or two of sunset uh, with that arrangement. Uh, of course, it adds weight. Yeah. But, uh, that that would be a good arrangement to do that. So so I'm, I'm thinking of that. I'm wondering something different. But I'm thinking, okay, I, I can maybe get the sun angle down to maybe two degrees. That'd be kind of cool. How much more time in the winter is that going to give me during the daytime? Will I gain two hours total? You will gain about an hour and a half to twelve. Yeah. Uh, yours was taking at least twenty-two degrees yeah. to operate. Um, it was so, about two hours, yeah. So it's really and not. It's, it's really not. It's really not worth it. Okay. The farthest north latitude that you can operate, yeah. uh, right around the solstice here. And so at 22 degrees solar angle, you're only going to operate up to about 47 degrees latitude. So yeah. that would buy you uh, closer to the edge of where the sun shines. Well, okay, so I'm probably not going to do that. Now, all right, I'm thinking, okay, our little 10 milliwatts been doing really good, 10,000 miles, 9,000 miles. 10 milliwatts, but what if I lit the sky up? Would I make people mad? If I if I put a 100 milliwatt transmitter up there, would I make people mad? I, mean, I think I, 50 milliwatts would be an improvement. Um, I have a little Class E amplifier I used on some previous experiments when I flew uh, Domino EX and Hellschreiber and um, on balloons with a bigger transmitter mm -hmm. years ago. And I used a Class E uh, amplifier with a 2N7000 set. So, uh, and they make a surface mount one that's the 2N7000. I've, 
I've got the Surface Mounts 2N7002s two, two or whatever they are. I got, a, I got a box of them. I just got to come up with a really simple configuration for it. And, it's a very uh, simple amp. It's very efficient. Uh, that's yeah. what you need for that. And so that's a really um, a classy amplifier with a 2000, 2N7002 would probably... Uh, uh, perk that up pretty good for you. And yeah, still, I, I'm more concerned. I'm more concerned. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem in building up the the class E amp. My, my my concern is getting a little filter built up right and putting it on there. You know, maybe I fly it without the filter. I don't know, but I'd like to build up a little filter. But I I, I don't know what value. I've looked at all different schematics and stuff, and they they go everywhere. They're you know it's millions. I have a nice pie filter I use on my trackers. Uh, it's just a, a 560 nano Henry coil uh, choke, and it's a little tiny 0603 part. Yeah, and because you know it could still handle the current if you're running about 50 milliwatts, probably. Yeah, and so and then uh, two hundred picofarad capacitors uh, the ground on, e uh, on each side of the pie. Two hundred on each side. I mean, one hundred on each. No, one hundred each side. Yeah, two two hundred on each side. Yeah, that, that'll really attenuate the harmonics. And all right. Uh, so you know, someone was asking in the chat in in our Facebook group of the other day. You know, why are we having such bad luck? I mean, are we using the wrong balloon? Is somebody else using one that's thicker or what? I mean, there's not that many balloons out there to pick from, and we're pretty much flying the same thing everybody else is flying. I think it's uh, uh, it's what's called luck that comes in right there, really. There's not a lot of difference. When you use the same gas, the same lift, the same balloon, and you turn it loose, it's out of your control, you know? I grew up in uh, Pella, Iowa, uh, WB0URW and N0MPM, they have been launching uh, balloons for uh, the schools in, uh, near Pella, Iowa. And so they launched uh, two balloons um, a few weeks apart. Mm -hmm. And they uh, one of them was Whisper and one was APRS. And the, AP, the Whisper one... Uh, after a couple of days, went up in the Arctic Circle and was not heard from again. And then the uh, also the uh, APRS one ended up in Europe and ended up high enough latitude that it was uh, the sun didn't get up high enough to operate, so it was gone for about four days. All of a sudden, you say four four days? Day, a couple of days ago, dash eight showed WB zero dash eight showed up over China, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden. WB0-12 showed up after being in the Arctic Circle for 22 days mm. and was transmitting beautifully over Mongolia, and they were both only a few hundred miles apart to fly in a formation. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's cool. So, all right, so, again, we want to do something different. I'm thinking, okay, we've always used hydrogen for the extra lift. I'm thinking... Let's use helium this time in an SBS. Now, I know we're going to fly maybe, what, 3,000 feet lower? Is that about what we would lose, maybe? Yeah, that's about right. So so we'd probably fly at maybe close to 40,000, 40, 40,000. 
But and I noticed in checking some of the sites here, some of the wind speeds were actually higher down at the 39,000 foot level than they were up at the 44,000 foot level. So and they are, and you would go faster I, around the world. Although you yep. did it uh, almost a world record at nine nine and a half days. No, no, it's a world's record. I think our I think our flight made it in like nine days and twelve hours. I need that's to look. I mean, I, that's, that's probably close to the record time around the world. Oh man, I gotta. I, I really need to zero in and see what the exact times were. And so we may have broke a record here for the show, man. Wow, I didn't. I didn't know that. That's you know, pretty fast. Yeah, we were doing so good. Even the the second lap looked like it was going to make it in nine days. I mean, that's kind of unheard of, man. You know, so uh, I was I was getting really excited about that one, and it went down. Now there's a there's a balloon up right now that's flying just. I mean, we've been flying the expensive balloons to get high and and have a little bit more dependability, I guess, but. Some of these cheap, uh, uh, inex- I'll say inexpensive Chinese balloons, these $4 balloons, there's a, cu- there's a couple up right now. There's one that's flying two 36-inch cheap $4 balloons. And how many times have you been around now? Oh, uh, well, basically those are, um, uh, I don't know what kind of material it is, but yeah. uh, they have a uh, tab on both ends. One is designed yeah. to- where you can daisy right. chain them together, yeah. And, but you can put a lot of free uh, lift in them without them bursting. But right. I, I think the one I looked at today is it the U four? Is it the U four B that he's right. he's, he's flying using, two of them and using those balloons. And and, and I think he's been around the earth seven times. Is, I, go ahead. I think he's been around seven times, and with right. those with those two balloons, he's flying at thirty nine thousand. Yeah. So you basically want to. Uh, pressure test those because their quality control is not the best and so some of those if you buy a bunch of those balloons some of them are going to have holes in them you want to pressure test them before you fly them well and it helps to stretch them out anyways we're not good on pressure they, testing they, here we just let them we just let them alternative to for you yeah well we just let them rip here that's i mean i mean you know are you ready to launch it yeah let her rip so that's that's how how we fly our balloons here man Rip, not meaning you know, literally yeah, yeah. rip, but you know. That's probably not the best choice of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess not. So, anyway, we want to do something different. I mean, you know, maybe I hang a spotlight that blinks under it. I don't know. How far, how far could we see an LED if it's flashing? Could you see an LED at? Not very far. I've tried know. it at night, and you um, can see it. For, okay, uh, then, then that's out. Somebody made a suggestion here. Instead of the ants, maybe we fly cockroaches. Now that's a pretty. Um, that's a. I don't know what's the word. Uh, we we actually flew uh, fishing crickets. Uh, we did an experience at a science camp in Indiana. Yeah. And we asked the students to come in with uh, different experiments we could send in the stratosphere. This now, is did, did you get them back? Did he come back? And, uh, so they brought in a can of fishing crickets, and we yeah. thought, well, yeah, they, these are going to be eaten by fish anyway, so uh, not that big of a deal. So uh, we didn't think the uh, the cricket uh, league would come after us. For, uh, well, nowadays they would. You, you shouldn't yeah. fly crickets, man. 
Yeah. So we flew them, and I, I didn't have high hopes for it because at uh, 80,000 feet or more, it's uh, 60 below zero, and it's a near vacuum. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, but the rumor was that uh, fishing crickets could hold their breath for two hours. That was the Internet rumor. And as you all know, well, everything that's posted on the Internet is true, right? I, so, I hear cockroaches can, can stay underwater for, like, hours. Oh, they'll survive a nuclear blast. Yeah, I mean, they come from the prehistoric dinosaur days, really. I mean, even the the, the meteor hit the earth didn't kill the uh, cockroaches. So we might already try to try. I don't know about training the cockroaches, though. It, it, it may they not. They are quite uh, as cute as the ants, I uh, have to say. <laughs> you know, the ants are really disciplined. They're very nice. Uh you know, they don't get mad when they crash. Uh, we've been able to rescue them, you know, every time we've been able to to rescue the ants. And, uh, um, man, you know, um, in fact, um, let's see, I got, there's a picture of the ants there, right there. They're in, they're in their NASA training right there. And, uh, you know, uh, they're they're... You know they're they're in pretty good shape here. You know I was going to. You have a picture of them being rescued. Yeah, I, I've got that. Let me pull it up here, uh, if I can, real quick. And because uh, we got a lot of new people in here, they may have never seen this. Uh, well, by the way, see. those fishing crickets we sent up into the stratosphere, they all survived. I was really surprised. Yeah. That I think their internet rumor was true. All right, let me see. I think I'm about, about to pull it up here. Yeah, here we go. Let me see if I can if I can show that. Let me see. All I got to do is find the right button here. Oh, man. Oh, here we go. Here's a picture of them right after they were rescued. Uh, right here uh, when they went down over Mongolia. Let's see. Let's see if I can get them in here a little better. I say that's a good-looking shot right there. That's uh, Huey and Dewey right there, uh, and uh, that was pretty good. They didn't have too tough a time. They did have to go underground there for a couple of days until the rescue team got to them. I have one of these guys are real troopers. They are, um, you know, they're they're really. Uh, They've really been trained well, and they know their stuff. And uh, I've got another shot here of their last rescue. I can pull it up. Boy, it must be way down here. We've flown so many flights that um, it's uh, amazing. Tom, are you looking for the one with SEAL Team 6? No, I was actually looking for them when the uh, airplane flew by, and... Um, uh, spotted them in the Norwegian Sea up there. I've got it here somewhere. Oh man, what a mess! What? Okay, I, I'm probably not gonna be able to find it. Who knows? Who knows where it is? Okay. Well, anyway, uh, the ants have had a, uh, quite a life. Uh, they've done a lot of a lot of uh, cool things, and uh, we're real proud of them. Um, Well, all right. Well, anyway, 
So, um, back to the show here. Let me get the, back on here. By the way, uh, yeah. Tom, this is a, uh, another dongle that I use. This one's primarily for VHF, UHF, but it costs about 20 bucks. Yeah, I've got I've got one of those. Uh, uh, like a $30 one that will also yeah. do HF. It's not as good on HF as this $200 one, but uh, I really yeah. love this one. This one just has great filtering, and it works fantastic on HF and all the bands, really. But $200, but that still uh, beats... Uh, a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to be listening only, which I do on Whisper, I just leave this running all the time on Whisper for a receive station. All right. Well, so look, be thinking. I got to do something different for this flight. This flight, we think we're going to be coming up with this flight here in the next five or ten days. So I, I want to do something different, man. Maybe maybe a five watt transmitter. I don't know what we're going to do, but that I want to do. Uh, if you doubled your power, um, you, you would get a pretty good range. Um, yeah. It would, you'd be amazed at just what uh, that 3 dB uh, difference would be in your Yeah. Space. Well, you know, the only place we really need it is when we get over the stands. And I don't know what all the stands are. Turkestan, Pakistan, something other stand. All those stands out there, you know. There must be something that just sucks the signals out of the air over there. I don't know. That's because there's uh, very few um, uh, HF amateur radio operators in that region. But but Bill, I mean, I'm over Africa. I can I can be picked up in Australia nine thousand kilometers away. Why can't I be picked up nine thousand kilometers over the stands? It's like it's a black hole there, man. Well, I, I've, I've done some tests, uh, really, the 10 milliwatt level. Once you start going below that on Whisper, your uh, range uh, really drops out from, um, you're limited to single hop and double yeah. hop transmissions. And, and you know uh, what? When you increase your power just a little bit, uh, then you get the uh, hops all the way into the other side of the world like uh, i'm not even i'm not even sure we're running 10 milliwatts we may be running six milliwatts i don't know and as that voltage gets low you know the the output is a lot lower too so yeah oh man I know that you had a few transmissions clear down to 2.1 volts which is yeah pretty, yeah so. yeah all right all right we'll be thinking what we can do to to um, go uh, radical on this next flight, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go radical on the next flight. So, yeah, hey, anybody out there in the uh, chat room, if you got an idea uh, what we need to do on this next flight, you know, uh, let us know, and we'll try to uh, incorporate it there. Okay, hey, uh, real quick, let's see, uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn Popel, you're still with us. Glenn, did you have anything you were going to show us tonight? No, not tonight. I uh, did want to mention that the QST for January is out. I got my copies today, and uh, the review of that Arduino Explorer prototyping kit is in there this month. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, save my stuff for the next time around. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Who's left in the room here? Is, is Riley still with us? I can't tell who's in here. Uh, he dropped off. Did he drop off? Okay. Uh, I, did Katie drop off? 
No, she's here. Katie, you still with us? I am, but oh, I'm my goodness. ready to go. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I, I... Almost eggnog time. Yeah. Of course, hey, hey, uh, we need to really be worried about Alan because it's... It's, uh, man, it's almost 11 p.m. We're Alan. Look at his eyes. It's starting to droop a little bit. Katie, where you are out west, it's about three in the afternoon. I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm not in Hawaii. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's nine o'clock. It's my bedtime. Oh, man. Wait, do you have to get up like early, early to go to work? Oh, not too bad. But I like to have a little quiet time in the morning with my coffee and cats before I get ready yeah yeah <laughs> and i want to give a quick shout out to ha and a happy birthday to glenn whose birthday is on friday and happy birthday to you because yours is thursday all yes, right man happy birthday to you guys cool well see the party starts at her place on thursday and yep. ends on mine on friday okay right, well that's, that's cool these are one year apart then <laughs> hey <laughs> Yeah, I was my mama's New Year's Eve hangover that just never went away. <laughs> well, I'm going to say Happy New Year, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, well, Katie, thanks so much for being with us tonight, man. You, um, great job, and if you fix that mic, if you fix that mic, uh, we may not have as many people leave us during the show. No, I'm just kidding right, with well, you, Katie. I'll do my, I'll do my I'm best. kidding, Katie. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> right, I, bye, I, 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 actually, guys, I've had people tell me in the chat room, Katie's not here, so I'm leaving. And they leave. They don't st stick around one minute. So, Katie, thank you. You're, you're a big uh, part of the show, and you help us uh, with our Oh, uh, They should be here. ditching because there's much more interesting things that always happen on this show. So. Yeah, there are some. <laughs> you know what? There, there were some really interesting things that happened here a couple years ago, and I still can't talk about it on the show right now. But uh, oh. that was a wild and crazy night. Yeah, and you sure. were there, and Rich was yep. there. It was one of the nights that we had Rich there, and you and Martin. Yeah. Well, one of these days we'll be able to talk about it again. Yeah, yeah. I just followed up again with that this week to try to find wow. out what is going on. All right. All right, everybody. Take Good care. Night. Bye. Good night. We'll see you later. Hey, Tom, right. I've got uh, a comment uh, that I was listening when Riley was talking about <clears throat> being an example. If you were showing somebody new to ham radio, uh, it's a great example to see uh, what ham radio can be rather than some of the embarrassing frequencies yeah. Yeah. Uh, that exist out there. And... Uh, because when I was uh, a young boy, my great uncle, W-8-U-N, um, he has been a ham since 1921. So uh, he had this rack of equipment, this room filled with glowing tubes and dials and meters. And that was so impressive to a, a five-year-old boy. And then he tuned in a frequency, and there was a little beep, beep, beep. He said, do you know what that is? Sputnik. That's a satellite. Oh, what was so it? I yeah. Came, I heard the first and there was a little beep, beep, And that was just so impressive just to hear that, that it got me interested in both amateur radio and the space program. All right. So, um, 
that's the kind of thing we need on the bands to and i think the digital modes have really um inspired a lot of the uh, younger hams mm -hmm. into ham radio um the college uh, programs that i help out in they all love the digital modes and it's really that's been an inspiration for getting uh, younger people into ham radio well we need to yeah i love the old days man I need to pull now, out some pictures uh, of all the racks uh, I had, too. Before yeah. the FCC existed, my great-uncle uh, started out in Spark Gap in 1921. Oh, man. And this worked well for a while until one day the local authority showed up on his doorstep because he was wiping out the, the brand-new AM radio station that had popped up. <laughs> oh, boy. He was wiping out all the receivers for miles around in the town no one could hear the local radio when he was when he was operating spark cap so that ended his spark gap days yeah and when i was at w1aw they fire up that spark gap but they don't do it for very long for that very reason yeah hang on a second we we got about 30 seconds left in our uh, time slot for shortwave uh, if you're listening out there on WBCQ on Shortwave, International Shortwave on 7490, you've been listening to a ham radio program called Amateur Radio Roundtable. Uh, we're here every, let's see, you're listening on Thursday if you're listening to the show on the radio, but you can join us Tuesday uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, or you can, our, our 0200 UTC Wednesdays, you can go to W5KUB.com and join the show. If you're listening out there on Shortwave, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we had a good show tonight. Uh, I was looking at the numbers here. We had 1,175 people join the show tonight. Uh, and we peaked out. Uh, we ran concurrent users of right about 200 or a little over 200 for quite a while. But uh, I think that's a, a, a record for our show. Uh, I think our move to our YouTube uh, format here is is helping out a whole lot. And again, if you will out there, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. That helps us uh, hit the like button. That helps our ratings go up so people can find us. And uh, we actually had people come into the show tonight that were on other ham radio uh, sites. But over on the left, uh, you know, it lists all the different ham radio things that were on, and it showed us on there as live, and they clicked on it, and that's how they found us tonight. So, uh, very good. I'm going to say good night to everybody, and, um, you know, hey, thanks for, thanks for showing up and being with us tonight, guys. We really enjoyed it. All right. Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll see you next year. That's right. It will be. It will be next year. And man, I love that shirt. Man, oh man, I love that shirt. Yeah, that's. Uh, I said between that and the and the, like I said, the the puzzle of my bench. Uh, yeah, I'll keep me busy New Year's Eve. Man, <laughs> supposed to be right. raining right. here, so that'll be it. Thanks. We'll see you later. Take care now. Goodbye. All right. All right, Happy guys. Let's see. Let's put old. Let's put Glenn on here. With out here. Here we go. So you're saying I can ask this cat any question? The cat is connected to the computer. You just type in the question. It will be There's the answer code.
the man! I've been looking for this for weeks. 